Exponential Trust Times is the unique AI channel of trust that offers an innovative formula of mentoring at scale for youth people from all around the world. I'm Dr. Lobna Kari, Executive AI Strategy Growth Advisor and Digital Transformer for Fortune 500 and 440 for more than two decades and the President of AI Exponential Thinker. AI for Exponential Businesses is the unique fair opportunity for young generations to learn from high-tech achievers at a global scale. Our aim is educating about trust technology and learning from great AI journeys. In this series, we invite AI researchers and AI practitioners with exponential AI experience dedicated to build trust technology for millions of customers and users. In this episode, we invite Dr. Ahmed Fatahi, sharing his AI journey and thoughts about the future of work to inspire our audience. Hi, Ahmed. Hi, Labna. Thanks for having me. It's, it's my pleasure and thank you for uh, joining um, this discussion uh, uh, by AI exponential thinkers about AI for exponential businesses. So we will talk during this um, uh, great episode uh, about many topics, uh, about uh, your experience as mentors, your experience as uh, AI builder. But before that, uh, we, with our audience, we would love to know more about your journey in order to achieve this AI incredible career. Absolutely. Uh, it's my pleasure, first of all. Uh, let me open with that. And, and I hope we can have a uh, good conversation. I'm sure we will. So uh, yeah, I, I started uh, my uh, education. Let me start uh, from like 25 or so years ago. Uh, after high school, uh, I, I studied electrical engineering uh, all along. I started my bachelor's, uh, master's and PhD all officially in electrical engineering. The, the emphasis always has been on the more analytical side, like build, building mathematical models, optimization, and, and officially you know, control systems. Um, and um, so let me let me start uh, to to throw in one of the one of the points that I saw in some of the questions already. It's uh, sometimes it you know uh, you know you, we get tied up too much into these labels like electrical engineering or this or that, um, which is I'm not saying it's not important, but it's it's far from the whole story. Uh, a, a smart person once made an analogy that, uh, you know, like analytical thinking and, and the, the tools like mathematics and, and statistics, things like that are more like uh, when, you, uh, when you build your body in a, in a good way to be flexible and strong and fast and, and agile. And then if you decide to go sport A or B or C, it becomes so much easier because your body is already trained and ready to just learn the techniques uh, of that very sport. So very same thing applies here. You know, I originally, I didn't do in school anything that today we call uh, data science or AI, like I didn't build a model, but the foundation that the way to think about a, a real world problem in a rigorous mathematical way, that's the, the foundation and which made my way, uh, my path so much easier down the road. So I joined a software company called OSI Soft right after I graduated, uh, which was on the, on the same path that I was passionate about, you know, uh, combining data and, and, and uh, analytics to software. And um, 
in, uh, I, I worked there in different technical leadership positions for 11 years. And in summer 2019, I joined Cisco as the, the um, uh, leader of uh, AI and, and data services uh, group. Uh, and throughout the process of my profession as well, I added, uh, I, I tried to kept, uh, keep myself up to date uh, by official courses or just reading you know, different, uh, different resources online. So that's my journey. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to uh, touch on, you know, different specific points uh, yeah. along the road as well. Yeah, we will come back to your current role. Uh, we are really curious to know um, your, your, your typical day of a head of AI uh, and analytics, but also your challenge. But before that, uh, as you know, AI exponential thinker is uh, to inspire, is, our mission is to inspire and empower uh, young generation uh, about trust technology and AI opportunities. So we, we, we have a question for you as a mentor. So uh, what, what are, the, I mean, what are the main, uh, your advices and tips for young people to gain uh, the best technology opportunities? Yeah, so um, first thing first, you know, it, there, there has to be passion in anything what we do. So I know, um, you know, people say uh, the, the jobs in, in data or data science or AI are, are very hot these past uh, several years. No question, that's, that's the truth. But uh, let me start by saying, you know, you have to be passionate about that. Otherwise, you know, forcing a artsy mind into a data science career probably is, is not uh, going to be the smartest move. So let me start there. There's value in every single thing that you, you feel capable or, or, or passionate about. Um, if you are, you know, that tendency and, and, and the passion to, to come in this field, um, uh, you know, I, I like to emphasize the importance of building that, that the right mindset. Um, tools are the tools and they're important they, they usually come easier though. You know, you, you go, you hear Python programming, right? And everybody everybody knows that. It's very obvious. It's a tangible goal to have. Um, you go take a course, you learn how to code, you pass a test, you're good. What's harder and yet extremely important is this softer, harder to measure uh, capacity, you know, how to think analytically, how to model a, a nebulous soft problem, real world problem uh, as a mathematical or statistical or data problem to begin with. Because as we are, we are gonna, we're gonna, I saw in some of the other questions, we're gonna touch on that a little bit later. Eventually what matters is to deliver value to the real world, to a business, to individuals, to human beings. And um, making that connection to, to think about the, the problem in the right way, model that, see that as an analytical problem, and then use the tools to solve it. That's the, that's the part that's quite challenging and not everybody is capable of, of doing that. So um, more tangibly, I encourage anybody to build that right mindset by studying mathematics or engineering or, or, or hard sciences, uh, not only just the principles, but also the, the way things are approached, the way to think about things and, and make that as a, as a habit. They're gonna be extremely come very handy when you uh, go into a career of, of data science or technology or AI, um, before you apply the tools, you need to have that kind of mentality to, to actually be a successful professional. Uh, last week, um, I, I was invited to talk about the future skills 
the skills that we need in the future. And one of the questions that we uh, highlight in that talk, we say that we know that the, the skills for the future are mainly about prob complex problem solving, critical thinking, curiosity, creativity, um, and, and cognitive flexibility, something new comes this year, 2020. Uh, but we know that uh, we, we use it at least in our domain. So, but my question that, um, either I answered this question at the time, but I want to know a little bit about your perspective, where we learn those, those skills, because today the school are not teaching the, uh, us or even the young generation about these skills, and the company are not completely uh, uh, training the, the employee. Uh, so what's your perspective about those skills that we know that we need it now, and especially in this area, it's the motion technology era? Sure. Um, so one of the great things of the past um, mainly 10 years or so is this proliferation of all of these online opportunities. So that's one big resource. I am personally a big uh, beneficiary of all of these online resources that uh, are either official like courses or, or even like set of courses to give you a a wider view of uh, on a certain topic um, and actually at a pretty manageable cost you can leverage some of the best uh, teachers and professors of, of the best universities in the world and I, I've been lucky to actually uh, take advantage of that myself um, the other the other thing is to go beyond that and um, you know don't be afraid to try things on your own Nothing, nothing teaches you better than trying and failing fast and trying again and failing again and then succeeding on your uh, third attempt. The things that you end up touching and learning for yourself to develop that, that good feel, uh, those are the things that don't necessarily happen in courses. What I was uh, referring to as like those soft skills, uh, let me give you an example. You know, I've I've hired many many people over over the course of my career. Some of the things that really impresses me is somebody who can say, you know, when they hear about a a setup in the real world, they have that kind of intuition to say, you know what, this thing doesn't make sense. I don't I don't have the like the the proof yet, but when I hear it, it does make sense or it doesn't make sense because they they have that kind of they have developed that intuition by trying and failing and trying and failing over the years, and there are so many opportunities. Like if you want to touch on real problems, what I talked about uh, two minutes ago about these online opportunities, like go make your home smarter. You know, buy a few gadgets. They're very inexpensive. A sensor here, you know, another like Raspberry Pi board there, and just play around. There are so many online resources. Easily, you can get something going, and you can uh, get data flowing in. You can play around, build good visualizations. In the process, you can actually impress your your parents or your uh, your, your kids, or because because they they sometimes they reveal certain things about real life. In the process, you actually uh, in a small setup of your your daily life, you actually go through this whole process of digging into a real world problem, collecting data, wrestling with technology, getting it to work, failing 10 times before you succeed, you know, that frustration, it, it teaches you things that, that become your soft, very valuable soft skills uh, in the future. So uh, use the resources and, and don't, don't be afraid of 
just try and get your hands dirty and, and don't be afraid of failing fast. Great, great advices. Um, let's come back to your current role now. You joined Cisco in 2019 to lead a great team of data scientists and data engineers uh, as the head of data and AI services. So how was this journey so far, uh, either on the recruitment side or the technical one, uh, but also what are the main challenges uh, in a such important role? Sure. So um, it's, been a, it's been a very rewarding, interesting journey, uh, including challenges. Um, so it, Cisco is a very large organization. Uh, you know, if you put together everybody that works here, the employees and the contractors, we're talking about close to 140, 150,000 people globally, you know, more than 30 years in operation, many, many businesses in across the world rely on Cisco products for their connectivity and, and cybersecurity um, and basically their infrastructure. As you can imagine, uh, it's a polyglot of several different technologies, different people, highly technical, uh, on top of that, um, there, there have been a lot of acquisitions of different companies, small and large, over the years. So they bring in their own way of doing things. So it's a constant challenge of, of absorbing and absorbing new technologies and new, new acquisitions, building your own, innovating on your own, and also adapting to this uh, fast-moving uh, fast market, which is not only fast, it feels like with the technology, ironically, even the, the rate is also accelerating. So the first derivative and the second derivative of, of the change are all positive. So, uh, and, it, and it's the, the, the bigger your organization is, the harder, you know, it's like, you know, changing the direction of a large, very large ship. It, it takes a long time or it becomes more challenging. So uh, the journey has been basically what we do, uh, my team does, uh, Cisco customers, regardless of the product, each one of them goes through a journey. They have an experience with uh, our products or our services or in our support. All of these are experiences. And um, the whole goal, bottom line business goal, is to leverage data and AI to improve that experience. Uh, it's much easier said than done because... Yes. It takes a I lot of yeah experience and, and different different skill sets, but uh, the uh, the 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 reward is big too. Uh, given the large size, the, the flip side of the that up that uh, challenge is the the size of the opportunity. Because if you can make a small percentage point impact on whatever metric, given the size of the the company and the customer base, it adds up to to quite a bit. So. Uh, let me pause here, see if, if that was a good high-level uh, view of what we do, or if you want me to go in more detail. It, it's really up to you. Let, let's say, like, um, we want to ask you a question about what are the, I will not say the most important, but let's say the most exciting project that you work on this last 18 months. Let's take one example, if it's yeah. possible for sure. Yeah, I, I'd be happy to, actually. So... Um, a real example is, uh, you know, this, it boils down at the end of the day to this whole uh, old adage that says, you know, correlation is not causation. Uh, so imagine that there is a, uh, there's a product that a, a Cisco customer purchases 
from that moment that they say, okay, charge my credit card or, you know, wire the money, they, they own the thing all the way to the point that we want them to renew their subscription or, or you know, at a, at a later milestone. There are a lot of different stages that need to happen. Mm-hmm. And we, as the, the, the owner of the product or the service, we obviously want the customer to be successful, right? Uh, in the process, you know, we expect them to, after that purchase, to you know, say, download the product, if it's a software product or provision, if it's hardware, integrated with their business, if they have an issue, call our support seamlessly, um, use the resources. In many cases, they have many like licenses that they need to like provision over time. So they have 100 licenses, for example, of one product. So we want them to, to get there. Uh, in many cases, there's a, a Cisco's partner involved, so we want that interaction to be to be okay. And then there's obviously the behavior within the product. You know, they go in, they they run the product, they click here, they they download there. So all of that experience over the course of their life cycle, we have visibility into, uh, not fully, but to a good extent in in different shapes and forms. So that's the data piece, and then. Um, as a result, we eventually want to come back and tell our product teams or customer experience teams uh, that, hey, you want to you know, make this change or make that move in order to eventually make the customer experience better. Now, the question is, uh, you know, getting to correlation or predictive models is actually fairly easier. It's still challenging because of, you know, all the, the diversity of data and things like that. But you immediately hit this question of, you know, is it just a correlation or is it causation? A real example is sometimes you see certain activities and you say, if the customer, you know, very frequently logs into a product dashboard, they're very likely to renew their product at the end of the day. So the question is, should we encourage the customers to actually log in more to eventually see a, a higher rate of renewal or not? Basically, the question is, is this a causal relationship rigorously or there's a third factor? Maybe they're already seeing more value. So as a result, they log in more and they renew at a higher likelihood. So it's really not causal. And it can have real world ramifications if we target the wrong uh, levers, if you like, if they're not causal, because at the minimum, they're going to be wasteful because at the end of the day, they don't move the needle. Or even worse, in some cases, if you push the, the wrong lever, you can actually frustrate the customer. They're like, you know, why are you pushing me to do this, this useless thing? Yeah. So, so the project has been basically leveraging data to create this whole uh, causal framework without going into uh, many, many, like tens or hundreds of A-B tests that, that typically happens in industry because that's not uh, feasible or they take a long time. So just leveraging data, building that rigorous causal framework to uh, help our business to make the right moves in the interest of customer success has been one of the, the most challenging and rewarding projects. But we feel like you are really passionate when you explain, because just for our audience, this question is much more an additional questions as usual from, from me. <laughs> and we feel this passion, which is great. I'm, I really, uh, I like when I talk to people who are really passionate and you, you mentioned before that it's very important that we, we, uh, we, we go with this passion in order to do the best for our customers and, and, uh, and users. So 
uh, what with our team uh, editorial board we love uh, something that you said don't look just at accuracy for your of your model so as a speaker you often explain what are the main criteria that data scientists should care about and you lead a team uh, for a couple of years as well of data scientists whether it is uh, to ex to, ex to clarify the explainability of the models or to take into account the cost of deployment and other criteria. So just for, for our understanding, and especially for, uh, for, for the young people, what do you mean by don't look just at accuracy and what are the main criteria of success to build an efficient AI product uh, or service? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a great question. That goes into um, exactly, you know, having that, business intuition as well as the technical uh, view to, to actually know what's going to work. Uh, examples are, or the analogy is, many of the, many of the audience may be familiar with uh, some of the, you know, quote unquote, great products that never gain market traction because they only focus on that one technical thing or two technical things without the, the big picture. In the context of AI models, uh, there, there are multiple criteria I can point to. I, I, I just mentioned two or three, the, the more important ones that I can think of. One of them is, um, you know, it has to be connected with a real business question. And you'd be surprised, you know, when you, when you hear it from somebody saying it, like we are just talking, it, it feels so obvious, right? And you're like, you know, of it's course. Very, very hard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very exactly exactly I know. <laughs> and it's you'd be challenging it's quite challenging you'd be surprised how many times uh you know this 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 flow have this um interact dynamic happens um so there's a business team and you go uh, from the data science side or the ai side you ask them what are you want to what what are your challenges that we can help with and they, they basically tell you at best, either they don't engage with you, so that's step one. They're like, we're good, don't even bother, we're good. Or they say, I wanna improve my business. I wanna improve my revenue or my profit. And they kind of stop there. And they're like, you are the data team, you tell us what you can do for me. And then the data team says, but I'm the data scientist. You know the business. I don't know your business. You have to tell me what your challenge is in the business. So there's a chasm mm -hmm. and they have to bridge that. So the first challenge for success is don't just say, go in and say, hey, I have a model that's 95% accurate and that's better than this other guy's model that's 93% accurate before you know that they even care about this business question. What does it do for the business? And, and be willing to and ready to be a great data storyteller to connect it to their uh, connect your work to their to their business. It's you know it's the, the the old cliche. Everybody's in sales. You have to be ready to sell your your creation, your your product, your 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 model. Uh, so that goes that that's extremely important. The other uh, factor uh, that's beyond the, beyond just the accuracy. Let me actually make the point through a real example. A real world. So uh, I think in 2008 or 10, you know, around that neighborhood, uh, Netflix very famously had this uh, big prize uh, contest that actually made a lot of these uh, questions mainstream back then, on top of being a great marketing move by, by Netflix. So 
they said, hey world, we have this million dollar hackathon or contest. Mm -hmm. We give you a, a bunch of a, a data set and your goal is to train a, build and train a model that predicts the rating of, of, of each customer um, uh, for, for those specific movies. So, um, and, and that, that went right into their business model, right? Because eventually they want to uh, make the right prediction for, uh, for, for, uh, the, for, for each individual, every customer. Um, and they obviously had a, had a validation uh, data set that, that uh, they would rank them. And everybody's understand or expectation was that they're going to pick the winner and uh, just take that algorithm and put it in their production. What happened was there was a winning team who actually, uh, very interestingly, they beat Netflix's own algorithm. So it, it checked all the boxes and okay. they won. So they spent, Netflix spent a million dollar, but it never went into production. Why? Because it was way too complex. And uh, the, the cost of deploying, the engineering cost of deploying that model, which I believe was an ensemble of more than 100 different models, uh, would by far overshadowed the, the profits that Netflix would have gained. So that's, that's my second point. It's not all about accuracy. It was more accurate, but there are other engineering aspects, technical aspects that need to make sense for the business uh, before a model becomes successful. There are other factors like cultural factors or other things, but um, uh, for the, in the interest of time, I'm, I'm gonna just stop here. But the, the main point is that the, the big picture is much bigger than just the, the standard thing that everybody immediately jumps to, how accurate is your model? But generally, I'm saying generally, right? Data scientists um, are not really aware about the fact, uh, about the complexity uh, in production and the cost. Uh, and you, you talk about one point very important about business and caring about if it's something that is a pain point, really a pain point or not. Uh, before starting solving this problem. You need to know if it's a problem or not, right? And if it makes sense to solve it for the business or not. And how, how many times and courage the business will follow you as well, either, uh, you know, by, by uh, as owner of the project, but also as um, uh, someone who is uh, sponsoring the project as well. And this is many aspects in this part, but there's also the cost and the complexity in production and in scalability. And I think data scientists, especially uh, some of them are, need to learn more about this part, uh, especially when it comes to, uh, to uh, putting it, deploying it, uh, the product, you know, and seeing it and, and scale it uh, uh, later. What do you think about this part as well? Yeah, that's, that's true. And, uh, you know, to be fair also, I don't, I don't expect, that's a false expectation that, um, that one person can be the deep technical data scientist and the deep data engineer and the product manager. Uh, there's truth there. Um, but what I would add is um, somehow in your, in your landscape, you need to have these factors. If you are not, so if you're a, uh, uh, you know, loan sole or, or con contractor or a app maker, for example, you, you basically um, taking uh, taking it up on uh, upon yourself to play those roles. You know, you don't want to spend months and months building an application that nobody buys, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to do that on your own. 
if you work in a larger organization, you may actually team up. You have to make sure if you don't want to jump in and go deep into all of these other aspects and remain in your technical lane, totally fine. But you have to make sure that you, in your larger team, you have that, that, uh, those personas. Yeah. Somebody who does talk to the business, translate your model in the language of the business and translate backward business language for, for you. So you, you actually make sure you, you solve the right problem. Uh, or you have a data engineering team who, who brings in data so you just can focus on, on your data science team uh, work. So uh, at the end of the day, the function, the, the principles are required uh, or you'll be just gambling, making, make, just making bets that this thing that I'm gonna make, I hope it, it, it works. Okay, great. In one of your talks, you said it's very important to understand if the project and goal is to control or predict. Uh, can you clarify your thought in this context? Sure. So uh, uh, one way to, to, to think about it, especially, so, so if you think about the, uh, I, I, th I, I think I know which talk you're talking about, the audience for that talk is like manufacturing people and, and, and uh, those on the, the shop floor of, of these like factories. So hence the language, you know, predict versus control. But actually the concept applies everywhere, uh, whether it's just prediction or action, you know, control is, is like taking an automated action by, by the model, right? Uh, so why the difference? The difference is actually tied back to that whole um, causal versus just correlation relationship. So if, um, let me give you a, a real, a very actually simple example. So imagine that I ask you to uh, predict, I, I give you a, a, a human being, mm -hmm. and then your ask is to build a model that tells me if that person, that human being is, is uh, capable of reading and writing, right? Mm -hmm. That's question one. Question two is, I want you to help that person, enable that person to read and write, right? So the first scenario, if I give you their shoe size, that's a great predictor. Um, so speaking in uh, uh, the US shoe sizes, for example, you can build a very simple model that says, if it's greater than, I don't, I don't, I don't know, like five maybe, uh, predict yes, and less than five, probably they're too young to read and write. It's a great predictor. Is it the best solution for scenario two? Do you expect to buy a larger shoe for a, a toddler and expect them to be helped in reading and writing? No, it's not causal. So that's the the predict the difference between prediction and, and action so or control. So you have to be very clear from the get-go what the goal of your problem is. If the only, the pure uh, point of the problem is to give another human being a prediction, so they interpret it in their head, if, for example, if this pump is about to uh, uh, break or, or, or go down 95% uh, or higher over the next five days, and then let them take action, use whatever feature you want. At the end of the day, all you care about is the accuracy of the prediction, and they'll take it from there. But if your main goal is to say, no, actually, we, the model recommends to take certain actions, if you don't pay attention in the beginning, you, your model, I'm not joking, sometimes make a really stupid recommendation like buy a larger shoe for, 
for a toddler because that's all the model knows, right? So it, it takes a different kind of math. It different, uh, takes a different kind of, uh, kind of uh, like uh, working with data set. The other big, uh, uh, big uh, difference between these two prediction and action is the, the typical tendency of the business stakeholders to ask for explainability of your models. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're only, if they, the, the, the only thing they care about, and it's typical for like um, advertisement industry, for example, um, as long as you can practically show that your model leads to more clicks than this other model, basically that's, that's all that matters. And you can use those uh, models like neural networks, for example, that are typically typically better at predicting, but they're much more convoluted inside. They're more like black box. So you cannot explain why the prediction came out the way it did, but it works. And eventually that, that's, what, that's what matters. When it comes to action and control though, um, typically when the stakeholder, before the stakeholder wants to sign off and say, yeah, let's push, put this in production so it does the control, take the action on its own. In more cases than not, they want to know an explanation of the logic, how this model works. I can see the predictions are on your test set is good, but I'm going to put this in production. It's going to, it's going to uh, make decisions for people. So walk me through how this works, how the logic is, sometimes just for the, themselves. Sometimes it's literally the rule of the, 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 the word of the, the, the law, the regulations. They have to have something explainable to, to regulators. So they're like, if it's a neural network that is totally black box, that's a no starter. In those cases, you may need to sacrifice a little bit of quality, typically speaking, or uh, of the prediction in the interest of more explainability of your models. So for example, a decision tree is much, much easier to, to, to then say, put it in English words or whatever language your language is, to say, this is how the logic works, but the, the backbone of how the decision tree is created is leveraging data science. Great. And in many data science talks, uh, we noticed the following statement, 80% um, of uh, data science projects never go to production. From a general perspective, is it true that most AI projects fail? Uh, and how you perceive the main issue between data quality, data science modeling, industrialization, and scalability, the point that we already talked a little bit before? Yeah, so uh, it's, I like to think it's, it's been getting better. You know, that 80% has been, uh, has been going down lately, but it's uh, in, in, in many ways, the, 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 the familiar, like the excitement uh, curve of the, in the beginning of, of, of a new technology or phenomenon. So um, when uh, basically after the comeback of the whole concept of AI, which had its first incarnation, maybe 50 years ago, but back then the technology wasn't advanced enough to, to support that level of data that was required or the compute power. So it kind of you know, went into a hiatus and then it, it make a, made a com uh, comeback in uh, early 2000s and, and, and a little bit later. And you know, it, it's now skyrocketing after 2010. Um, uh, so so the, uh, the, the, one of the big challenges is making sure the, the business value is there. We, we talked about that. Yeah. In that 80% that don't end up, and this is a real example. I've seen it multiple times myself, so I'm not taking a pride in that. But um, it's, um, 
it has roots in how, how we, we humans behave. Sometimes we, you know, technical people, myself included, we go solve a problem that we comfortable, feel comfortable solving as opposed to that other thing that's actually valuable to the business, which may be harder to understand. So we're like, hey, you know, I made this model, I show it, show it to my boss and I take a temporary credit and I'm good, but it never goes into product because it's, it wasn't developed uh, in connection, in close connection with the business. So it can actually uh, answer the wrong question or a irrelevant question. Um, the second issue is back to the Netflix problem, the, the, the challenges of actually deploying it. You know, it, it may even be answering the right question for the business, but deploying it can be very challenging because of very high compute power. That's one example. Yeah. You don't want to burn more energy and money than the actual benefit of the model, right? Another challenge sometimes is uh, you, don't, you don't actually check all the boxes in the beginning. Everything works until when you want to go into production, they tell you that actually, you know what, because of laws of privacy, for example, your model cannot have real-time uh, real access to the data that your model needs to make the prediction. Uh, so that's a, that's a brick wall that, that that your model hit. So all of these are um, uh, are are in a great way helps by remaining close to the business, either yourself or or having that team, uh, and and imagining the whole way before you actually jump in and build the the model. Uh, uh, you you can help help uh, the the likelihood of success by by spending investing a little bit more upfront time with the business, and. This is again one of those things in my experience that when you when you're sitting down uh, listening to a podcast makes a lot of sense and sounds so easy, right? But in reality, we're all I'm I'm an engineer by education. We get excited about stuff, and we're like we're we're itching to 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 build a solution, and we 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 just uh, sometimes get ahead of ourselves and build something half baked from the business applicability. <laughs> With more than 50,000 young people empowered in time of pandemic and uncertainty, we are grateful to our remarkable guests with exponential experiences and from great organizations such as Amazon, World Economic Forum, Harvard, Google, Berkeley, and more. Thank you to our great audience and keep tuned for this new episode in the unique AI channel of trust by AI Exponential Thinker.